This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me back in the saddle tonight is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, New Year 2020 is upon us. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, well, Happy New Year to you, Paul, and Happy New Year to everybody else out there. Uh, thank you so much for everybody for all the uh, warm Happy New Year's wishes, and I, I sincerely hope that you, your families, and your loved ones are enjoying uh, a brand spanking new, and I hope everybody's on the precipice of reaching their dreams and their goals this year. And if you don't have goals or dreams right now, perfect day to start making some new ones. So Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to you, Paul. And uh, I'm just psyched, man. This is This is the time of year that we love college football in full swing, NFL playoffs coming. It seems like, you know, while things are winding down in our world, it seems like things are starting to wind up. Absolutely. This is the time of the year that we really start turning into high gear, watching these prospects. It's great to have you back on air with me tonight. And since we last talked, a lot has happened. You know, national championship is now set. There's been a plethora of bowl games. There's still a couple of small ones you know, taking place over the next couple of days, you know, and then eventually we wait to Monday, I believe it's January 13th for that national championship game. But I figured we'd start tonight just kind of looking back at those two semifinal games because there's so much to talk about in those games from a prospect perspective. You know, it's just amazing. I was watching those games with a close friend of mine and he follows the NFL very closely, but not so much the college game, you know, not until like the guys get drafted into the NFL. Then he really starts to learn a little bit about them. And I was just trying to explain to him just how many guys on those two playoff games are going to be guys that you're, we're talking about in the early portions of the NFL drafts this season and next season, you know, from the quarterbacks to the, the receivers, to the running backs, to some of the defense players. It was just staggering the amount of talent on the field in those two games. And then now obviously the national title set between LSU and Clemson. So why don't we start with the LSU Oklahoma game? Obviously my, my fear and concern in that game was LSU was going to run away with it. And, and Joe Burrow, seven touchdowns in the first half. I mean, Justin Jackson four. I mean, Justin Jefferson, four touchdowns, uh, just an impressive performance by LSU Any thoughts, Matt, big picture on any of the LSU guys when you watch that game, you know, what left you most impressed, you know, whether it was what Burrow did, what any of the receivers did, uh, anything from that game, from the LSU perspective that, that just really impressed you. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say that if it's not, if it's not certain that Joe Burrows is probably the QB one, um, it's pretty gosh darn close for a lot of people. I mean, I'm call me, call me silly, call me, um, fickle, call me whatever you want. But until I really get to watch both of them side by side closely, I'm still, you know, assuming Tua comes out, I'd still be hard pressed to move him out of that one spot, but it's really, it really does press me to go right back to the videotape and make sure that I'm, I'm really seeing these guys with a clear lens in terms of their movement, uh, perspectives, their movement behavior, how they look at the field, how they see the game, what constraints really shape their behavior? Who really is the better quarterback in terms of an NFL lens, not necessarily a college football lens? And I think that's that's one of the big takeaways we got to just remember and remind ourselves as we're going into this season filled of film watching. You know, not every not every exposure is an NFL exposure, and I think we really 
you know, have to do a good job of defining those problems. So Joe Burrow's obviously a standout. He's right there. I mean, you're, you're talking one, 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 two, it, it, who knows? You know, I mean, you're talking about the guy and I think he showed amazing, amazing ability in the pocket. I was really impressed with him and he's way more athletic than you give him credit for. Um, so I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching him. Justin Jefferson. I mean, he went off. I mean, as <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like it's the chicken and egg discussion, man. Does Joe Burrows make Justin Jefferson? Does Justin Jefferson make Joe Burrows? Does Jerry Judy make Tua? I don't know. I, I it's 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 a perfect synergy between the two of them, and they work so well together. Jamar Chase, um, I you know that that whole receiving core is just really, really, really impressive. And, and, and the offense was just really impressive. I, I I walked away saying, wow, I didn't expect it to be a runaway. I really didn't. I, not not in that dramatic of a fashion where it was over after the first quarter, basically. I, I didn't expect that. I really didn't. And to see that happen, it was just, it was, it was, it, it, it was boring by halftime, Paul. I mean, it yeah. really was. I turn. I, I don't. I didn't turn it off, but I. I certainly didn't like. I wasn't sitting on bated breath anymore. I was like, I got to go and do something else too. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching that second half of that game, like you could just hear the amount of filler space that the announcers were trying to take yeah, like, time <laughs> in that game. Right. Like, I mean, they, they're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals, you yeah. know, potentially Joe Burrow and where he's going to be drafted by. Like, they were they had so much space to fill because the game just got out of hand so quickly. And to kind of just piggyback on a couple of things you said. Listen, I love Tua. I think Burrow this year has been absolutely outstanding. The durability and the injury concerns that have kind of followed Tua now for the last two years, I think are great enough to – I I completely understand having Burrow at number one. You know, And and for me, it is really a 1A and 1B. But if I was an NFL team, I don't blame them for going – for saying Joe Burrow was ahead. You know, the injury concerns – have been legitimate, you know, and he, you know, his size has opened himself up for a little bit more wear and tear. And what Joe Burrow has done this year, the experience, and he's had to overcome adversity. It's something that I think is so important for these, you know, players, especially quarterbacks, to be able to handle. And I mean, listen, two is going to have overcome adversity too, coming back from some of these injuries but i mean joe Burrow was a guy who was a highly regarded recruit he goes to ohio state he sits there for a couple years he transfers he has a pretty decent and and let's just say i went back i'm going to bring up justin jefferson in a second i watched a lot of justin jefferson film uh over the last five or six days uh to get a really good feel on him and i'll talk about him in a second but i went back and watched a bunch of justin jefferson film from last year in particular their bowl game and some things late in the season and you watch joe burrow he was doing some of the same things he did this year at the back half of last year. It was just that because he didn't have that momentum building, it made it so it made it so people weren't talking about him as much. Joe Burrow was really impressive down the stretch last year. And it was a reason why I had him as a late day two, early day three grade when I watched him in the summer. And this year it's just been the consistency week in and week out. My favorite trait, you know, by far, I was, I was privileged to be a guest on the Debbie Marketplace podcast earlier this week, and we talked about Joe Burrow a little bit, and I'll say it again. His ability to navigate the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, is his one of his best traits, his pocket presence and his decision-making. He hasn't had the greatest arm in the world. He's not the greatest athlete in the world, but his ability to buy time, navigate the pocket, have that pocket presence and his decision-making is what makes him a special prospect. 
And on the Justin Jefferson side, obviously this game beyond impressive, but in more of the big picture, I watched a lot of him and I, I walked away thinking to myself, he's a version similar to what I thought of Chris Godwin when Chris Godwin came out of Penn State. There's a lot to like about his game. I know he's not as big in terms of his frame, but I think he'll probably add some weight and muscle before, you know, the combine and stuff like that. Uh, but his inside outside versatility, you know, we started this year, Chris Godwin mostly played the slot and dominated, you know, he was well on his way to over a hundred catches. If he didn't get there, you know, cause he missed the last game due to an injury. He can play in outside on two wide receiver sets. He can be that flanker type guy on the outside. He could be the big slot, good possession receiver, you know, can, can make some plays after the catch uses his body. Well, has great body control and ball skills. That's what I see with Jefferson. I, I truly do see a similar type player like that. And I think the sky, I think the stock is up on him. I think he's probably going to be a day two pick. I think he, I think top 50 is in play. It's in, it's a ridiculously great class. So maybe he goes a little bit later than that, but I think he's risen to the point where he's going to be a guy that we hear for, for sure in the top 100 and maybe even the top 50. Uh, and his rise has been almost as meteoric as Joe Burrow has, and they've been going side by side. And yeah, who makes who? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, the receivers at LSU are, are amazing. And when we compare two to Joe Burrow, two his receivers are amazing. I mean, the four in Alabama, the three in LSU, they're all special. All seven of them have a shot to be top 50 picks over the next two draft classes. That's just staggering. Yeah, well, I mean, Here's the thing. I mean, we're going to get into this later tonight, and I know that we're kind of going a little unscripted here in terms of how we're addressing a lot of things because I know we've been grinding film on the side, trying to update the Saturday, Sunday notebooks, which in case anybody out there has not heard about, um, they are our premium notebooks. You get basically everything you're hearing here on the podcast, only it's in one concise document for you. It includes not only every prospect we're talking about, but you also get three notebooks in addition to the scouting notebook. You get the freshman notebook, which will be coming out uh, in the next few months and you also get the um uh you get the draft coverage it's kind of like the tv guide for the nfl draft and that's going to be the nfl draft notebook that you're going to go ahead and get as well and you also get our rankings notebook where you get a chance to anything like our tier busters what our tiers are ranks are debbie ranks everything you can think of so it, it's a great way to support the podcast. So if you haven't had a chance to take a look at those for only nine ninety nine, they really are a thing that makes this show run when it comes right down to it. So we'd really appreciate your support out there. And and Paul, getting into those those kind of grinding the tape, updating the notebooks, kind of going back to what we did in the preseason. You know, Justin Jefferson was a player who was in our periphery. I mean, is the best way to describe it. You know, we, we he was there. We knew of him. We knew of what he was doing. We had watched him. We had been impressed with him. Um, but it really has been a meteoric rise for him as well this year. And and I had a chance to really grind a lot of tape on Justin Jefferson as well. And 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 I'm actually instead of getting into that right now, I'm going to table this discussion, not to tease it out for the listeners, but stay with us because I think there's a bigger question here for us to talk about. And I'm going to I'm going to leave that kind of that little carrot dangling in the distance for us to talk about as we get through this weekend's games. But I think there's a bigger question that from an evaluative perspective, we really need to start asking ourselves because I'm just going to say this. The league has only so many players on a team. So I'm going to leave that there in the distance dangling. So on that note, Paul, what did you think 
about if that was the appetizer and it was a light course to say the least because lord knows i'm sure you didn't get full on lsu oklahoma i know i didn't but i gotta tell you the main course the course that followed maybe one of the dare i say one of the best to come soon to be football rivalries that is justin fields trevor lawrence i mean ohio state clemson Paul, what were what were your initial thoughts on that before 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 we kind of leave LSU Oklahoma? Give me first any takeaways from Oklahoma, and then last, tell me what you thought about the 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 evening meal, the 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 big time bread and butter that was that big football game between Clemson and Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, some quick thoughts on Oklahoma. Listen, I think Jalen Hurts has shown a lot of growth and development this year as a quarterback, for sure. In the Before the season started, we were talking about a UDFA quarterback prospect, a guy who was probably looking at a position switch. And now I think he has shown enough this year to intrigue NFL teams to – Think about drafting him maybe on day two, if not day two, early day three as a quarterback prospect to continue that development, to to continue that progression and see if he can play that position at the next level. And maybe a team does things with him and builds an offense around for him, similar to what Baltimore has done with Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is at that level, but I can see that. Listen, maybe Baltimore drafts him somewhere in the mid rounds and they have the guy that can perfectly complement Lamar Jackson. God forbid Lamar Jackson gets hurt. They can run the exact same offense probably with Jalen Hurts. So even though he struggled in this game at times, even though the whole Oklahoma struggled, I I think what Jalen Hurts did as a whole season is something to 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 be a little bit in awe in of just how much he changed the narrative around him a little bit. C.D. Lamb had over 100 yards in that game. I still think he's one of the premier wide receivers in this draft. For some people, he's, he's wide receiver one. For me, he's wide receiver two. He's not going to move Jerry Judy off of wide receiver one. I've had a lot of conversations uh, on the Debbie Marketplace podcast, and then I've had a lot of conversations on Twitter. It seems like there's a big contingency that wants to push Jerry Judy off of that wide receiver one and they're using a lot of analytics to to make their case I, i'm not going there i think judy is special i think lamb could be special too i just think judy uh, judy is a more all-around player at this moment more prepared to have an immediate impact at the nfl level due to his precise route running and ability to win all three levels of the field and doing what he's done in the sec and not in the big 12 so but lamb's great I think he's going to be a top 20, top 25 pick. So not a lot of issues there. But turning to the main event, that Oak, uh, that Clemson versus Ohio State game, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, this is just the beginning of a rivalry that we are probably going to look at for years and years to come. They were number one and number two quarterback prospects of the year that they both came from high school into college football. They played this year in the semifinal game. I would if if someone put me right now to make a prediction about next year's national championship before this year's national championship even played, I would say Clemson, Ohio State next year these guys meet in the championship game. That's how much I think about them. But this game back and forth, back and forth, big plays. I mean, stars on the defensive side of the ball, stars at the quarterback position, stars at the wide receiver position for Clemson, stars at the running back position for both teams, really intriguing, maybe day three type prospects at the wide receiver position for Ohio state. I mean, talent just everywhere. Biggest thing that I took away from this game, 
Anybody who doubted J.K. Dobbins from before this season started last year when he had a little bit of a down year compared to his freshman year, you watched that game the other night, and he looked special. His his burst and acceleration and his long speed, things that people questioned earlier in this year or before the season started. I don't know how you watched that game and, and just weren't in awe of what he was able to do. I mean, he's able to turn on the Jets. I don't think people, I think people undersell his overall athleticism, his burst, his acceleration, and his long speed. I don't think that's going to be a knock. I mean, okay, he's not running a 4 3 5 maybe, but, but this guy's going to be plenty fast enough. And if he tests in the 4 4 8 to 4 4 4, I mean, 4 5 3 range, that's where Alvin Kamara tested. That's where Josh Jacobs tested. Honestly, this guy's got better vision than either one of them had in the collegiate level. His vision, to me, is is his best trait for sure. I came away really impressed with J.K. Dobbins. Not sure he makes it into the first round because we know positional value and all that stuff. But I think he's squarely in the mix as one of the top three or top four running backs. And I don't think I, I don't think if anyone makes a case for him to be RB one or RB two, I can get behind that as well. Yeah, no, I, I I just almost like interjected because we throw around these words like athleticism, and I think there's an epidemic failure on our part as evaluators as really understanding what athleticism means. It doesn't mean that you're fast in a straight line. It doesn't mean how strong you are. It means when and why and how you're doing what you're doing. So, I, I mean, notice how you couched your whole discussion with vision, Right. The vision that was needed in order to apply those capacities, those physical capacities that he possesses. And I think that's what makes him so special. It's not how fast or is he fast enough. It's more or less like, okay, he he certainly has reached a competent threshold of athletic ability that, you know, in terms of athletic capacities, physical capacities that we can all agree upon. But it's just his his death and skillful nature at administering those things within the actual landscape of the game itself is what makes him so special. He doesn't just cut you up. He cuts you up, jumps two gaps over, and he makes it to the end zone. And he's avoiding guys along the way. And he's using blockers in front of him. He knows how to exploit blockers in front of him. He knows how to use the running lanes to his advantage. He can create running lanes and sustain running lanes by using the design of the play, the flow of the defense, the turf on that day, his own strength, and he's doing everything. He's perceiving, he's acting, he's processing, whatever you want to call it. It's not just how fast he is. And these are the things that, again, I know we're going to kind of, you know, I, I, I keep, I, Alabama didn't play, I know that. But it's the things that people, I think, kept knocking, you know, Najee Harris about. You know, I, I think he's another one that falls into that discussion. And I, I, I can't agree more. So Paul, I, I'm gonna ask you this. Because I, I I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. I mean the game was nothing but popcorn. Nothing but popcorn. Do you have any doubts about Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields in terms of their long term pro potential? Or is it pretty much a slam dunk? They're just vying for who's going one versus who's going to type of deal. Yeah, I mean, I have I have zero concerns about Trevor Lawrence. Zero. zero. And, I, and I think the NFL will have zero concerns about But he him. struggled he struggled so much this year, Paul. Yeah, I mean, and we talked we talked about that. He, you know, again, there's still he's still a baby in terms of his development. Like he's still so young. That he's still got a No, 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 no. Development is linear. You get better <laughs> 
every day. There's no backtracking. That's how you learn. Every You're smarter than yesterday, Paul. You're right now the smartest you've ever been in your whole life. <laughs> and, and and what makes me laugh about this whole conversation, and we've talked on air and off air about this, is to be honest with you, if I'm an NFL evaluator, I'm glad he <laughs> had some struggles this year. I'm glad he had some adversity this year because you know what we saw? We saw him. We saw him fix some issues as the year went on. We saw him make better decisions, take care of the football a little bit better. We saw him again in a big spot come through and this time show that he's even more athletic than maybe anyone ever even thought. Not that that, not that you're going to be asking him to run the ball 15, 20 times a game at the NFL level, but he showed the other night that it's in his repertoire and that just makes him even more of a weapon when he gets there. What the difference between their games right now, I do think is stark in one way, him and Justin Fields. And, and this is why right now I do think there will be some people who will nitpick a little bit, Justin Fields right now what the Clemson offense asks of Trevor Lawrence compared to what the Ohio state offense asks of Justin Fields is very, very starkly different in terms of the NFL game. Trevor Lawrence is asked to read the field, scan the field, go through progressions. Justin Fields right now, and it, listen, it's not all that different. Dwayne Haskins last year, the same things were said, right? That he he didn't have to go through progressions. He had all these playmakers. He got the ball out quickly. That'll be the one thing next year that it we might not see Justin Fields be asked to do it much because he just might not have to do it that much. So I, I think that's the one thing that is going to come up at times when people talk about Justin Fields. Now, listen, I have Trevor Lawrence 1A. I have Justin Fields 1B. I think the difference between them will be dramatically less than the difference between anybody else compared to, to Justin Fields and compared to both of them. So I, I, I lean in Trevor Lawrence right now. I think the margin is small. And the only the only thing that I think Justin Fields has got to show that he's he's capable of and just hasn't been asked to do it much is full field reading in terms of progression, scanning the field, going through on a regular basis. We've seen more of it from Trevor Lawrence. He's played almost a whole nother year of games, and he's just asked to do that a little bit more in the offense at Clemson than than uh, Fields is asked to do right now at Ohio State. That's the only thing right now. Experience, games played. And full field reading and, and, and stuff like that. They have the arm talent. They have the athleticism. They can make every play. They can play off structure, off script, whatever you want to call it. They can play inside the pocket. They can play outside the pocket. They can make every throw needed. There, there's a couple things that I want to, that there's the things that I mentioned are the one thing that I think people will bring up with fields, but I think there's going to be NFL teams that are in awe of both of them. And by the time they're eligible for the 2021 draft, I think some are going to prefer Fields. Some are going to prefer Lawrence. I think Lawrence, because he he right now is shown a little bit more in terms of what he'll be asked to do at the pro game, is what would make more people maybe lean uh, uh, Lawrence's way right now. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't, I don't really have any issue with whether you say it's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. It really is of no consequence to me. I, I personally... Um, at this juncture would agree with you. I would, I would take Trevor Lawrence. Um, I, I just think in terms of what he's had to do to your point about scheme, to your point about the expectations that were put upon him, where he was, what he's accomplished, what he's done already. Um, in those constraints. Yeah. 
But I thought was really interesting about this game, and I'll I'll kind of leave it here, kind of dangling, is this idea that you took away one of Justin Fields' biggest physical traits, his legs. You took it away. And he had to beat you with his arm. And when you really stop and think about that for a moment, you could argue that that probably put him under the biggest set of constraints out of both quarterbacks in that game and yet was still able to stay competitive. Because you take away a player's legs and you ask them to throw within the pocket for at all times, you're taking away an entire solution bank of possible throws that he could do. You're, you're basically wiping out an entire tree of solutions and ideas and experiences that he's ever used. And you're asking him to play in a very unique and let's just say, I don't want to say inauthentic because you're always authentic, but you're best, you're, def, you're definitely playing compromised in a very compromised position. And I thought it was phenomenal to see Justin Fields hold his own from the pocket, to hold his own in that game from the pocket and not just hold his own, obviously be competitive, be competitive with a, with a, with a good Clemson team. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Ohio State receivers are nothing. It, it, there's listen, they're good, but they're not. It's not like Jerry Judy and you know, and um, and Henry Ruggs out there. It's not like having Justin Ross and T Higgins. I mean, he's got KJ Hill, and 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 KJ Hill is a great receiver. But let's not start comparing Justin Ross and T Higgins to KJ Hill. I mean, he was throwing to guys like Benjamin Victor, good player, nice player. Remember him from high school? Still looks very similar to what he did coming out of high school. I think it was Austin Mack, who was the other receiver, who I remember again from that same year as Benjamin Victor. Again, long, lengthy receiver, good body control, was thinking he could develop into a route runner, made some good plays that game. I mean, we're not talking the same weapons, at least in terms of receiving core. Now you have J.K. Dobbins. I don't. I think he's better than Travis Etienne. So, I mean, for me, I like J.K. Dobbins over Etienne. So, if we're going to really start comparing, I would say slight edge J.K. Dobbins. Take away Justin Fields' legs, massive edge Trevor Lawrence. Receiving core, edge, edge. Not I don't massive. I mean, let's not get technical. Edge, edge Clemson by probably a significant margin. And I thought going into this game it was going to come down to, you know, defenses and who slipped first, basically. But I mean, I don't think we can undersell just how different of a game it was for Justin Fields not having his legs fully under him. That was a big deal for him. You change the entire movement behavior of a player when all of a sudden you're playing injured. He's playing in an apparatus on his knee. Don't tell me about experience practicing. It's not the same. It's just not the same on game day. I mean, just think about it. It's just not the same on game day. If you ever had an animal that was injured that was your pet and they have to wear these things around their necks or around their bodies, do you see how they walk weird, feel weird, look funny doing it? I had a dog. They had to wear one of those cones around their neck at one point because I forget what operation we had to give the dog. My dog was fine, but it was they had to wear it for a period of time, and it was 
for like a good day, it was awkward. The dog was like uncomfortable. Now imagine going out there and playing football and like you have to react and read and be agile and everything you're doing is compromised. He had a win from the pocket, probably for one of the first times all year. And he was competitive. So I give him a tremendous check mark, big lights, big stage, compromised physical condition. And he ended up showing up and doing very well. So as we move forward, I think this is only the beginning of a really storied competition between these two players. Yeah. And unless we get an announcement in the next handful of days that two is returning to Alabama, I do believe the number one and number two teams in the poll to start the college football season next year will be Clemson and be followed by Ohio State. Absolutely. That will be the, I, I would I would say the likelihood of them being one two to start the season is very high. Yep. And the only way they're not one and two, and maybe one of them falls to three, is if two is back in Alabama. That's it. That's it. There's no, I, even if LSU wins the national championship with, with Burrow and leaving, there's no way. There's no way any other team in college football is pushing Clemson or Ohio State off of the one two to start the season next year, except maybe Alabama if two is there. So, I mean, they could be on this crash course and it's going to be fun to watch. And I, I think this, this one, this round went to Lawrence. Yep. He's going to have his day too. And we're it's we're, sit back and enjoy these guys because it, it, it's going to be fun to watch these guys in college. Then see where they go, get drafted, and then let's hope let's hope they end up. You know, maybe they end up in the same division or something or, or same oh. conference, and and they really form a rivalry. I almost hope they end up in the same conference, so it's not just like oh they'd have to meet in the Super Bowl for it to be like an enormous game. I hope it's the same division or or the same conference, and a rivalry is built with these guys, and we get to sit back and enjoy it because it would be a lot of fun. So. So Matt, why don't we do this? I'm gonna I'm gonna run through, run through a few thoughts on some of the other big games in terms of a player or something that stood out in those games. Anybody you want to harp in on, uh, you could harp in on, and then we'll close tonight off with uh, we'll just do some uh, quick lightning fire uh, thoughts on some guys that we. Well, yeah, I still got the carrot there. Up. I still yeah. got the thing out there. It's that yeah. thing. I, I mean, I gotta bring that up. I mean, everybody's still waiting for that. I'm sure you're not, but if you are. It's a really good question, I think. Okay. So so I want I want to mention the Orange Bowl, uh, Virginia, Florida. Florida came away victorious, 36-28. The guy I wanted to mention is uh, Michael Pirine out of Florida. 138 yards rushing, two touchdowns, but also another five catches, 43 yards, and one touchdown on the ground. He's a guy who you're starting to hear a little bit more buzz about, and he's not going to be a top 100 guy, I don't think, but he's going to be a day three guy. He's going to be a guy that goes probably round four or round five. But what he's done this year is he's shown some ability in the passing game. So if if there were fans out there of somebody like Benny Snell last year, I think LaMichael Piran is a better player than Benny Snell. Benny Snell. I think he's got more athleticism. He, I think he's a little bit quicker, you know, a little bit, you know, his movement skills are, are a little bit greater. And then I think he's able to, to be more functional in the passing game than a guy like Benny Snell was. So so he's an interesting guy, maybe as a day three running back prospect that I think could make an impact at the next level. The next game I wanted to go to was the Citrus Bowl between Michigan and Alabama. This game, I mean, 
if there was any doubt about Jerry Judy, I mean, the game literally starts with a like an 85-yard touchdown to Jerry Judy, showing that if anyone questions his ability to go get vertical, his, his long speed, first play of the game. All game, Michigan could not stop Jerry Judy. He was open at will. His separation quickness, his route running, his savviness, his technical aspects of his, of his, uh, of his routes are all top-notch. He might be the fourth fastest receiver on his own team, but that's still that doesn't mean that he doesn't have really good speed as well. He can get vertical. He can win at every three levels of the field. You know, if he ends up being Calvin Ridley and Stefan Diggs, one of those guys, I think that's his floor. And I think his ceiling is, is even higher than those guys. And for people, listen, the NFL will find flaws on every single player. And, and, and that just is what it is. That's their job, right? They're, they're trying to look at the whole picture. If someone looks at Jerry Judy and, and finds flaws, they might find a flaw that his, his frame is a little bit thinner than ideal. They might find some flaws that maybe they question, you know, against a physical tough cornerback, how he might do at the catch point, et cetera, et cetera. So they can find some flaws. But I guarantee you this, and we talk we talk about the analytics all the time, and we're both math teachers, so we respect and understand that there's a part that analytics values. No NFL team is gonna is gonna look at the Jerry Judy picture and say to themselves, "We're concerned about his game at the next level because of the percentage of the offense that he was this year." He, they're just not, and, and and I know there are some people who really are into that. But nobody at the NFL level is going to knock Jerry Judy for that. And I think, I think sometimes we really get a little too cute with our, our evaluations on players, you know, when we don't understand that we have to look at the context in terms of the offense they're playing. Because if we don't, it makes no sense. Because if you put Jerry Judy on Oklahoma and you put C.D. Lamb on Alabama, Jerry Judy's getting more opportunities and looks and targets for Oklahoma than he did for Alabama because in Alabama, he's playing with three other guys who are going to be top 50 picks in the NFL draft this year or next year. So it's one of those things that, you know, I was talking on, on social media a lot yesterday, you know, during the Alabama game, after the Alabama game. And just, you know, again, I don't have to defend Jerry Judy's case too much. He's got enough that makes him amazing. But I, I do think NFL evaluators don't care about that. And and they might find other things that they were concerned about, about Jerry Judy, but it ain't going to be the percentage of offense he had at Alabama. I, I can keep going, but I, did, I just went on a little rant there after the Michael P. Ryan, Jerry Judy. Anything there, Matt, you want to jump in on? I don't, I don't, he's my wide receiver one. He's been my wide receiver one. I drafted him in high school as a wide receiver one. So I think he's a wide receiver one. And, and what does that mean? I mean, it means that I think he's an immediate complimentary wide receiver who has a chance to be the focal point of an offense. That's what I think. I legitimately think that. So he's going to step in and he's going to be your complimentary starting wide receiver with a chance to be the focal point. That's who I think he is. And I think he's, I think he's phenomenal. So I I don't I don't really know what else to say about Jerry Judy. Yeah, and maybe listen, maybe he doesn't go top 5. Maybe he doesn't go top 10. It's a it's a great great wide receiver class. And teams might say, "You know what? We're going to take we're going to use our top 5 pick or top 10 pick to upgrade our offensive line or or get a top flight cornerback or get an edge rusher or something like that. We're going to get a receiver in the early part of the second round." So I'm not saying Jerry Judy's a lock to go top 5, top 10. 
but he's coming off the board within the top 20 or top 25 picks. I mean, that I, that's a foregone lock, and and that's not changing in any way, shape, or form unless he gets injured, I think, between now and the draft. Uh, the Outback Bowl, Minnesota with a nice victory over Auburn, 31-24. I think the interesting thing here is Tyler Johnson because I, I talked about this on the Devi Marketplace podcast earlier this week. I've talked about it here at Saturday, Sunday a couple times. The disconnect between Devi and draft Twitter uh, on Tyler Johnson compared to what it sounds like the NFL and the NFL world and community is, is very stark. But I mean, this guy goes out 12 catches, 202 yards and two touchdowns. All Johnson has done is dominate the entire season. I've been saying Robert Woods is a guy who he reminds me a lot of. I think he's got that inside-outside versatility, really good route runner, maybe one of the best in the class. I would say besides Jerry Judy, he might be the second-best route runner in the class. Uh, I really like his overall game, but you listen to people like Dane Brugler, Dane Brugler, you listen to people like Tony Pauline who have a lot more ears to the NFL community, and it sounds like they're not that high on him. And then that info was backed up by the fact that he was invited to the Shrine game and not the Senior Bowl. So it's really interesting to see if he gets a call up eventually to the Senior Bowl and where he ends up going because it seems like he should be more a guy that the NFL is, is, is a fan of. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be that way, you know, so that's going to be something that's going to be, you know, interesting, uh, nonetheless there. Uh, another guy I wanted to bring up from the Rhodes Bowl is Justin Herbert. You know, Herbert is a guy who has not had the year that I think many people expected. You know, it just, you know, it is what it is. You know, Herbert hasn't. Herbert hasn't been the guy who I think many people thought he was going to be this year. He's, he's been okay. He hasn't lived up to the hype. I think, I think he made a mistake going back to college, but you watch that Rose bowl yesterday, you know, he comes away victorious 28, 27. He makes a big pass to end the game. Uh, he scored three rushing touchdowns, whatever people think about Justin Herbert, the NFL are still fans of Justin Herbert's game. And there's enough quarterback needy teams and enough of them in the top 10 that I don't think Justin Herbert's getting out of the top 10. I just don't. I just don't. He's got the size. He, he's, he's got the, he, he fits the part. The intangibles are good. Yeah. There's some question marks about his leadership and his outspoken, not being outspoken enough and all that other stuff, but he's got the athleticism. He's got the arm talent that, an NFL team is going to think they can put it all together with Justin Herbert and get the best out of him. And you saw, you know, not, not so much passing, only 138 yards, but he made a big play to ice the game late. He showed his ability with his athleticism to make some plays with his legs. And I think he's that kind of leader that NFL teams are going to be a fan of. Uh, he just leads a little bit different than some other guys. So I wanted to mention that. And then the Baylor-Georgia game. Georgia comes away victorious 26-14. Jake Fromm, what an interesting storyline. If it's his last game, he ends with 250 yards and two touchdowns. We've talked about it for the whole year. He's the guy that intangibles through the roof. He can run any offense you ask him, and he'll probably be efficient at it. But he's going to be that game manager type. He might not be for everybody, but he's a guy who's going to be in the NFL for a long time. Is he a starting quarterback? Is he a great backup? Is he somewhere in between? I think that's the question mark for Jake Fromm. And I'm not sure going back to college makes his stock go any higher. I think if he comes out right now, he's probably a day two prospect. He probably goes in the early part of round two, unless the team really falls for him and he gets pushed back into round one. I think probably round two though. But I think he's got a really interesting decision to make uh, moving forward. And then I just want to mention George Pickens, the wide receiver from Georgia, 12 catches, 175 yards and one touchdown was one of the standout performances from all of the bowls that I saw. Really impressive last night, the performance that he had. 
So, Matt, any thoughts on Pickens, from Justin Herbert, uh, Tyler Johnson, anything? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, there's so many names there to, to peel back. And the, the, I'm going to throw another name that you didn't mention. And just because I, I got to keep plugging him just for the heck of it. Again, in the last game, Oregon, Juwan Johnson had a couple of nice plays. And Juwan Johnson is a guy that, again, we talk about. He's a guy oft injured. He transferred from Penn State. But I, I really like what he brings to the table if he can stay healthy and play consistent. He's likely a day three um day three pick, um, but he's something that's going to offer some really intriguing possibilities for some teams. But overall, Paul, I mean, listen, you know, I think Tyler Johnson and, and, you know, what people think of Tyler Johnson and what he brings to the table, you know, listen, I, I personally think that the concerns, and I don't know what the specific, you know, concerns are of Dane and, and other, you know, people in the industry, you know, my concerns and my concerns are always trying to be is what, what problems they solve on the field and what problems will actually be concerns as they kind of develop and progress to the highest level of mastery in our game, which is the NFL landscape. And I, I mean, I guess the biggest concerns you could probably address or look for is, you know, what's going to happen in terms of handling the press. I mean, we didn't see a lot of it and what he did against it. You know, is that same, you know, he is a very technical, very savvy runner. You know, he has a lot of, lot of awareness and sensitivity to how to manipulate coverage and manipulate defenders. And I, I think that's all well and good. And the question is, how is he going to handle, you know, collisions and mid-stem collisions and collisions at the line of scrimmage? And Paul, this is kind of where I wanted to transition this to. And this is kind of exactly the question that I have over the last few days, you know, we've been updating the, you know, the, the Saturday to Sunday notebook, and we've been looking at the scouting notebook and we've looked at players across the spectrum, Warren Jackson and KJ Hamler and Justin Jefferson and Devin Duvernay. And even now talking about Tyler Johnson, um, I, I wanted to bring this up because I think it's interesting. Justin Jefferson, Devin Duvernay, KJ Hamler. All of them lived and breathed in their respective formations, tight to the formation, off the line of scrimmage, and in a slot-like formation at all times. Given where they were positioned, the opportunities available to them were almost all very consistent. Usually, from those particular positions, there's some type of bracket coverage occurring between the linebacker and the overhang safety. The, either the overhang safety and the safety above, or the linebacker, whoever's there. But it's usually either a linebacker or a, or a uh, kind of hybrid type player bracketing that slot receiver with the safety above them. Those players are rarely, if ever, pressed. There's only so many slot positions in the NFL. There's only so many starting wideouts in the NFL. Yet those two players, and you could probably put, you know, you could probably put several others in that same, several others in this class in that kind of kind of landscape of problems that they're asked to solve. What are we to make of these players as they begin to elevate to levels where they're going to be collisioned, mid-stem? They're gonna get they're going to get hit within five yards. 
Somebody's going to knock them off. One of the primary ways to kind of prevent the quarterback from from making those throws, those kind of kind of intermediate throws or those seam throws or those throws where, you know, it's some type of RPO. One of the ways we kind of deal with that is to to kind of hit the wide receiver within five yards to throw off the timing and throw off the track. I haven't really seen a lot of exposures where those guys were jammed or or collisioned anywhere in their actual respective positions. And I think it presents an interesting set of circumstances. What are these guys what are these guys going to do at the next level? I mean, that's a problem that they're going to have to face. And for some of them I don't really have access enough to film to really get a feel for that exposure. I don't know what they're going to do when a linebacker hits them within 5 yards. Some of those guys who knows what their stability is like. Is it going to be enough to throw off their center of mass? outside of their base of support and and they kind of waffle and all of a sudden, you know, the, the timing's off and now it's the next read. I mean, what's going to happen with those guys? And I think that this is going to be a growing concern for evaluators as we move forward. I don't think this is a one and done, Charlie. I think this is the transitional phase from college to the NFL is going to present these problems as we move forward. And as, and as, as evaluators, I think it's an important discussion point to at least acknowledge because they can't all play the slot. And unless everybody's running creative formations where there's multiple motions and uh, formations and audibling where we, we start a guy out at, you know, we'll start a guy out at split end, but then we'll motion him to the slot or we'll go to a bunch formation. Unless we're changing formations consistently, some of these guys are going to hit. And some of these guys are going to get hit. And I I don't quite know. Like, for example, I'll, I'll give you just quickly how I parsed it out. Justin Jefferson, for me, I really like Justin Jefferson. I think he has a chance to be an immediate uh, slot receiver at the next level. But in terms of what he's going to do against the press, I have no idea. You know, he's, he's physical at the catch point, And I think that that speaks well to what he could do. But I didn't see anything, you know, in his film that really made me feel confident that he's going to be able to handle reroutes or collisions mid-stem. I don't know. I Most often the time, he was the number two receiver on the side or he was the number three receiver on the side, tight to the formation off the line of scrimmage. Very rarely ever got hit within five yards, if ever. That's because a lot of these teams are playing some type of quarters coverage, some type of match quarters. So they're, they're not getting hit. KJ Hamler... I think KJ Hammers just like he's going to run away from everybody. I, I have a little bit of of confidence in KJ Hamler because he is that type of explosive change of direction wide receiver where he just won't let himself get hit. He reminds me a lot. Um, he reminds me a lot of a more uh, agile and more versatile route runner of a Greg Dortch. Like if Greg Dortch was a better route runner, Greg Dortch and KJ Hamler. It's I understand people say Tyreek Hill. I've heard that thing thrown at him. I, I don't know. Tyree Kill is a little bit different for me, but but I, I see that better route runner. He's a much better route runner. And I think Justin Jefferson is a good route runner. I don't think he's a better route runner than KJ Hamler. And then I look at Devin Duvernay. Devin Duvernay, I don't know. I, if anybody saw it, I put out a tweet today. DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, Devin Duvernay, Jamar Chase. To me, they're all the very similar styles of player. 
and Devin Duvernay to me, maybe the lesser of maybe that group, but he's probably somewhere in that, you know, in that, you know, uh, I would say that Debo Samuel, DJ Moore world where he can win physically. He's like a running back who can run his physicality and ability to handle reroutes. I saw it once or twice and he was fine with it, but he got thrown off a little bit. He got thrown off a couple of times. I got a little concerned. Brandon Ayuk, I was a little concerned. There were a couple of times he got hit. Mid-stem got thrown off a little bit, even though he's physical and tough. But he was another guy, another guy, constantly in the slot. What do you think, Paul? I mean, am I I going crazy? Am I overthinking it? But I think it's really interesting. In college, it works because spacing is different. But what are we going to do with that as we progress to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think this is such a great question that has so many layers and layers that we could do another hour into this podcast just on this one question alone because of the layers that come from it. This is this is what I'll this is what I'll say, and I'll keep it short. So then we'll end tonight with a couple other rapid fire film notes on on some of these guys. This first, going back to something I said earlier. This is why this is why it's so important not to overvalue analytics and college production when trying to make the transition to the NFL game in terms of what we think about these players and it is why and I know analytics people don't want to hear this it is why while analytics has became a big portion of the NFL, it's became a big portion of the NFL for p- play calling, in-game strategy, p- strategy before the game, during the week, things like that. It hasn't became a bigger factor in evaluating players. And the reason for it is exactly what you just said. If there's a player who never gets touched, mid-stem, five yards within the line of scrimmage, and constantly is peppered with targets over and over. And he's never going to really be covered if he's inside in the slot. He's going to have a tremendous market share. He's going to have a dominator ratings if he just keeps getting hit with those targets. But those numbers don't mean they're going to translate to the NFL level because we don't know. Some of them are and some aren't, which is why it comes back to trying our best to evaluate traits, to evaluate things that stick out about players and look for things that we think could be calling cards. You mentioned KJ Hamler. His speed and the respect that defenses, even at the NFL level, are going to have to take for it is going to maybe be his X factor of why, yes, is he going to be times that teams are going to try to be physical with him? Yes, but how much, how often are they going to be willing to really get up in close with him because he has that calling card? You know, a guy like Justin Jefferson, you got to watch him and say, does he have some room in that body to become a f- more physical player that he can withstand that contact and be able to still absorb that contact and run his routes and get into his route running that he needs to? I think the answer to that question for Jefferson is yes. It's why I mentioned Chris Godwin, but what did I talk about? I said he's not as built up as Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin has shown this year that he could handle that from inside in the slot. So I think it's a case-by-case example, and you got to try to look at each situation 
not by numbers, but by looking at their traits and, and, and trying to project, will they be able to handle it? What, where will their pitfalls potentially be? And it, it's a case by case example. It is very hard. It's going to continue to get harder. And then on the flip side, I do think more teams in the NFL are going three wide on a regular basis. Teams are going four wide at a decent percentage. So I do think that opens it up to, at times, there being two slot receivers on the field. Or sometimes they'll bunch it up and there'll be multiple guys inside. And there's so many three wide receiver sets now. So you almost have 32 slot wide receivers. Now, yeah, guys move around. So that's why versatility, I think, is so important because they got to be able to go inside and outside. I mean, you see it now at the NFL level. Teams often put their best wide receiver at times inside because they know the best cornerbacks usually don't come in. So I do think there's still mismatches to be created at the NFL level on the inside because you do usually see the best defensive backs still playing more often than not on the perimeter. But yeah, there, there is limited availability in terms of slot yeah. wide receivers. Even if we're going to say there's three on every team and there's three starting wide receivers, basically, I mean, we're still talking about 32 times three. We're still talking about 96 guys. We could talk about 15 to 18 wide receivers in this class who we think have the capabilities to be top three wide receivers. That's impractical. It's impossible that eight, 15 to 18 from this class are going to become that a part of that top 96. We might project them. We might say their upside is that, but there's no way that's going to happen. That would be almost unheard of for one draft class to produce 16 or 17 guys that become the top 96 wide receivers in all of football. But there is more opportunity in the slot. But I really do think it comes down to a case by case example. And you gotta, you gotta say, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with not seeing them do it? And it comes down to, we gotta be careful to knock guys for something that they're just not asked to do. Maybe they can do it, but it's a little bit of a guessing game. So I don't think you're crazy. And I think we gotta try to isolate things and traits of these guys that we think could handle it. Yeah, no, and I and I think to to your point, I think it comes down to why more than ever before it's important to kind of think about it as a problem solver lens. It's a, it's important to come back to asking ourselves who is this player. Going back to you know, going back to the summer seminar series and Ross Cooper and asking ourselves, you know, who is this player? Who is he? You know, what is his movement behavior on the field? How does he self organize? What information is he connecting to? How does he see the field in terms of his body, his way, that moment in time? Who is he as a player? Who is he as a problem solver? And I think these are where we can begin to tangentially pick up information about how these guys may perform. So, for example, all three guys that I brought up, KJ Hamler, Devin Duvernay, Justin Jefferson, I think they can all win physically. I think they can all win physically from their respective positions if they were to encounter collisions, but they will do it in very different ways. However, however, there are moments in each of their respective films where there's there's something to be said about not seeing it and not being able to see it. For example, I'll give you a Brandon Ayuk, right? Everybody loves Brandon Ayuk. He is a dramatically different runner in the open field as a punt returner, as a kickoff returner, than as he is as a wide receiver on screens. He's very different. If you ever watch Brandon Ayuk take a screen, 
you'll see a couple of highlights where he does go to the house. I'm not saying he doesn't ever do that. He did it once or twice. Maybe maybe more than once or twice. But watch his agility. Watch the way he processes information on the field. Watch the way he uses his blockers to gain the advantage on his defenders. He does not do it the same way as he does when he's returning a kick. He is a different player. He's more agile when he's returning kicks than he is when he's actually taking a screen pass. After the catch, he's not anywhere near as agile. It's a different type of play with different perspectives, different intentions, a different moment. So players are going to behave differently in different moments. And this is where we have to ask ourselves, what are the problems on the field? What information are they connecting to? And we have to try to ask ourselves in these circumstances, can they win? How will they win? It's going to be a real challenge as we move forward because like you said, Paul, we're just going to keep spreading it out. We're just going to keep spreading it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you make some great points there. And and you hit on a lot of guys that I know you were watching film on closely this this past week, you know, from Jefferson to Ayuk to Hamler, uh, you know, to Duvernay. So you hit on a lot of the guys uh, that, that you were talking about. And I watched a lot of these guys as well. I added them all to my rankings, and I, I watched a handful of other guys as well. So I, I think I'm just going to kind of, you know, end what I want to say tonight with, with some rapid-fire thoughts on some of these guys as well. And then if there's anything you want to close out in terms of counter on these guys. You know, we talked about Justin Jefferson enough, you know, when we talked about the LSU game and then a few minutes ago. You just brought up Brandon Ayuk. And I, I thought you made some really, really good points there about – his explosiveness in his return game isn't always translated to him in terms of his re- receiving game. But as a total package, I can understand why people are very intrigued by him. I think I heard it first. I, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said that he he has NFL teams really intrigued. They see an Emmanuel Sanders type player. They see inside-outside versatility. They see a guy who can get vertical on the outside or from inside in the slot. They see an electric returner. They see a guy that they can use on, on short stuff, end the rounds. You know, end the rounds, reverses. That kind of gets him the ball similar in that punt return style, right? It's a little bit of a, you know, he immediately gets to turn into a runner as soon as he gets the ball in an end the round or something like that. So I can see why teams are intrigued with him. I think he probably is a day two guy. I've heard some round one buzz. That would surprise me in this draft class. I think he's more of a day two guy. I can see the Emmanuel Sanders comps. Uh, If we take this to Warren Jackson from Colorado State, still no word yet if he's going to be in this draft class, but I watched him. Obviously, his size is elite, 6'6". Uh, his ability to high point the ball. I think he could be a very effective red zone weapon, you know, win contested catches. But I, but I don't see a guy who I think he should go back to school. I don't see a guy who's going to be a top 100 pick if Warren Jackson comes out. You know, I don't think he's as skillful as Preston Williams, you know, from Colorado State. I think Jackson has a calling card. It's his size. It's his ability to go up and get it, win contested catches. But I don't think he's a complete player right now i think he's more of a a taller possession style wide receiver on the outside john hightower boise state he's heading to the shrine game we'll talk about him in a couple weeks in our shrine game preview a little bit more but he's a flat burner speedster vertical threat very thin though 6'2 175 but think about when john brown came into the league he was like a mid-round draft pick but he was a vertical threat that's john hightower right now uh so i i think that's kind of the range we're talking round four round five teams are going to look at 
him, see the tactical value that he can bring. Uh, and I think Hightower will intrigue some guys because he has that calling card of that deep vertical threat. Nico Collins out of Michigan watched him. Another guy, really good size, 6'4", 222. I think he's another guy who he's got average to above average athleticism, long speed, but I think he's more of an outside possession style wide receiver who can win at the catch point. He can be a guy used on fades. He can be a guy who, you know, can run some good quick slants. But I I, I think he's a guy who's more going to be what he does at the catch point. I think he's an okay route runner. Uh, I think he's another guy, a Dave Free type prospect who's better at the catch point than his his route running. Not a much a not a guy who's really going to do much after the catch. We talked a lot about Devin Duvernay. I think your comps to guys like Debo Samuel and DJ Moore are absolutely perfect. So I'm not going to get go into any more detail on Duvernay. I think he's got a legitimate chance to be a top 100 pick, especially if his durability and health issues are 100 percent behind him. Uh, I watched Lawrence Cager, formerly of, of Miami, now of Georgia. Again, great size, 6'5", 220. He's headed to the Shrine game as well. He's got that length and catch radius, ability to adjust uh, and and high point the ball well. He uses his hands well and his body to create some space at the catch point. But I think, you know, some areas he's still developing in are his his route running, expanding his route tree. He's not a guy who's going to get a lot of yards after the catch. He doesn't have great long speed. So, again, I think he's more of an outside possession, you know, uh, flanker position receiver, a red zone threat in an Autumn Tate style of player. I think that's who Lawrence Cager reminds me of a little bit. Uh, Courtney Davis, we, I know he's a guy that, that we've talked about at times this year. I mean, he's a guy who I think is really underrated. I think his, he's got, he's physical and strong for, for yeah, a guy who's really good. 200. You see that in his routes, you see that at the top of his routes, and you see it when he becomes a, a, a runner after the catch. So Courtney Davis is a guy who I like his route running. I like his toughness and physicality. I think he's a guy who, again, he's not a, he's not a burner. He's not a guy who's going to win, you know, down the field on a consistent basis, but whether you put him inside in the slot, whether you put him on the outside in that flanker position, I like Courtney Davis's overall game. I think he could be a day three value for somebody, uh, you know, in the NFL draft. And then, uh, last guy I want to talk about, uh, up for tonight is uh oh hold on one more guy uh we write you talked about kj hamler yeah explosive player uh his speed will be his calling card. Redshirt sophomore took me a while to really get into his film because I didn't know if he was going to come out this year. But when you watch him, you see that explosiveness. You see that electric ability that he has. You mentioned Greg Dorch, but I, I think his speed is, is is at a greater level. I think his explosiveness is, and I think, like you said, he's a way better route runner than I think uh, – Greg Dortch was. So I think that's the big difference between those guys. And then finally, uh, Van Jefferson from Florida watched him 6'2, 197 pounds. I like Van Jefferson's game. Yeah. He's a little bit on the thin side, but I think he's, I think he's a really, he's got really good footwork. He gets in and out of his breaks very quickly. I think he showed progress this year. I watched some film from last year and then I watched this year. And in the, again, there's not a ton, but in the film that I watched, I thought he was better at catching the ball away from his body this year. I liked his hands this year a lot better than when I watched the older film. I think he's another guy, a day free prospect. I think he's heading to the senior bowl. I'm intrigued with, with Van Jefferson. And then the next guy I want to watch, and he's one of the final receivers I want to keep my eyes on, is Jawan Jennings out of Tennessee. He's going to be headed to the senior bowl as well. Um, 
you know, I, I put out a tweet about him today saying, you know, PFF put it out that, you know, they thought maybe he could be a day two pick. He's had some off the field issues that I think might prevent that. And also it's such a deep class, but I mean, he's, he's six, three, two Oh eight. I think he could be a big slot type player too. Really physical, tough after the catch, he makes plays. Uh, I, I He's going to be a guy who's going to win contested catches. I think he's a pretty good route runner, really good blocker, tough, physical. There's a lot to like about his game. I'm excited to see him at the Senior Bowl, but I think he's a little bit more of a day-free type player, but he does have that inside-outside versatility to play the flanker position or the big slot. So those are kind of the guys we kind of have covered the wide receiver. All of these guys are going to be in the scouting notebook. I think it's going to push the number to a total of 40 guys. Uh, one or two tight ends I'm looking to add. Adam Trotman will be added uh, within the next week or so. Uh, Clyde edwards Hilaire, uh, he's going to be added there. Anthony Gordon, the quarterback out of Washington State. Uh, and those are just a couple other guys that uh, – and there's a couple other running backs that I'm waiting on to see if I add guys like Darius Anderson, Benny LeMay out of Charlotte, and I'm waiting to find out if C.J. Verdell out of Oregon plans on leaving early or not. If he does, I'll try to get him in the notebook as well. So, Matt, any any final closing thoughts here to round it out? No, we have a lot of film ahead of us, I can tell you that. But, I mean, I could say – I could say, honestly, I, I, I'll leave it here with, with all these players. Like, I mean, Paul talked about a lot of the guys that, that we had covered, and – um I would say that, you know, after grinding through a lot of these guys and, and really kind of leaving with some fresh eyes, I think, I think the top of the list is still the top of the list for me. You know, the CD lambs, the Jalen Riegers and the Jerry Judy's and all those guys. I mean, I'm still going to pound the table for Brian Edwards because I still like Brian Edwards more than most people do. Um, but I, I do think the biggest riser for me um, is two of them. There's two of them that are the biggest risers for me. And these are guys that are not, let's say, well-known wiser risers for people. Um, I, I would definitely put, you know, uh, KJ Hamler in there. I would definitely put Brandon Ayuk in there. And I still think Courtney Davis is, is vastly, vastly underrated, um, in terms of what he can bring to a team. And he's, he's very much in that world where I think he could be a great, he's a great technician as a route runner and great sensitivity. Paul, I, I mean, the, the guy that I'm most excited about out of everybody that you just mentioned though is KJ Hamler. I really do like him. I, I really, really think that he's playing with a very special skill set. And I think that he's not just agile as a kick returner. He's agile in that play speed as a receiver. And that was something that I was talking about with Ayuk. I didn't always see it. I understand why they like Ayuk. I think the reason why I would probably have Ayuk over KJ Hamler, and I would would probably have that, um, is because Ayuk is a little bit more versatile in terms of the problems he can solve outside, inside, um, there is a little bit more variety there, but I mean, I, I, but I mean, I'm really hard pressed, man. I'm really hard pressed to put KJ Hamler there as well. I really like what he brings to the table. I think he's an incredibly skillful route runner. I think he's excellent downfield. I think he can handle the physicality of the game very well because of what he can do in terms of body control, in terms of handling force, in terms of handling tackles. He may be 176, but he knows the entirety of his body and he knows how to play at that weight extremely well. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about his height and his weight. I think he's an exceptionally, exceptionally good player and I'm just excited to see him. If I can get him on any of my fantasy teams, I will. I think somebody's going to fall in love with him. I said Deontay Johnson is the type of love affair that a team may have with him. I think that just like the Steelers had with Deontay Johnson, you could find a team that may go after KJ Hamler. Yeah, and and we'll and we'll close it here, and then I'll, and I'll wrap it up right after this. Whether or not we want to put the pressure of of calling him a Tyreek Hill type player, you know there are going to be. <coughs> 
sorry, excuse me. You know there are going to be NFL teams that look at him, that look at Henry Ruggs, that look at Jalen Rieger, and they're going to look at these guys and they're going to see the impact that they can make and they're going to think it could be on a level of Tyree Kill. And maybe it's not. Maybe it is. You know, it all depends on the offense and the scheme. You know, I remember before the season started, I said, I thought Henry Ruggs could have a Tyree Kill-like impact. I thought Jalen Rieger was a Brandon Cooks-type player. You know, and then K.J. Hamler is another guy added to the mix with those guys that that is on their explosiveness in terms of electricity level. So I think all of those guys, they're going to be very high in demand, I think, in the top 50 picks because of that rare unique element that they can bring in terms of just turning the game so quickly and and bringing that offensive dynamic weapon uh, to the fold. So Matt, this was absolutely a blast. I know you mentioned it before, but guys, if you enjoy what Matt and I are doing, whether it's on the podcast, when we're active on social media, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com. Check out the premium notebooks tab. Uh, For $9.99, you get access to those four notebooks Matt was talking about. I mean, we're soon going to have... over a hundred guys in the 2020 scouting notebook, many of them who are going to be in the the 2020 NFL draft. We'll split it up once we have official declarations uh, also. So it's separated the guys who are in the draft and who aren't in the draft. Uh, So much information in that from their areas that we consider strengths, areas that we consider functional, areas that they're still developing on or might be a weakness, NFL role, what we're projecting them to do at the next level, uh, draft projection, how they win. Uh, even a fantasy spin this year, because we know a lot of people are really into fantasy who follow us, a fantasy spin of what they might be immediately in long-term upside, all of that in the scouting notebook. You get the rankings notebook, which has our draft eligible rankings. It has our Debbie rankings. I'm still upstate still updating last year's dynasty rookie rankings for you as they head into the offseason in the NFL. Uh, we're going to put our tiers there. Matt's going to have his rankings up there in the next month or so. Uh, all exciting stuff in that. And then you get the freshman notebook, you know, profiles on a lot of the incoming top freshmen for your Debbie leagues and just general knowledge in terms of college football. And then you get the draft projections notebook, tabs for every position, offense and defense, notes on over 400 players, how we expect it to go based on everything we're hearing, not our thoughts on these guys. Guys, you know, making guesses on the top 32 picks, top 100 picks, and then every pick in the entire draft. You get it all for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show and help us grow. We take all the money that we get and we put it back into the show. Uh, so if you're ever thinking about getting it, please consider it. If you have any questions, reach out to us. If you bought it in the past, we hope that you would definitely consider purchasing it again as well. So just a little housekeeping. Next week, we're going to have two episodes. It's We're going to close out that the rookie class in the NFLs with a one episode on the wide receivers and tight ends, one episode on the quarterback, uh, on the wide receivers and tight ends, one on the quarterbacks and running backs. I have two great guests uh, who are going to uh, be on the podcast next week. The week after that, we will have a East West Shrine game preview. We'll also recap the national championship a little bit in that episode. The week after that, We'll recap the Shrine game and preview the Senior Bowl. Then we'll have Senior Bowl recaps. And after the Senior Bowl recaps, we go into our Tier Buster series where we will do Tier Busters for each of the four uh, skill positions. And then that will lead us right into Combine preview and Combine recaps. I will try my best to do the day-by-day daily recaps, short 10, 15-minute podcasts as well, and then obviously big overviews of the entire Combine. So that that pretty much is, is the, the, the schedule there for Saturday to Sunday, basically from now 
until, you know, sometime early March. So it's busy. It's our favorite time of the year. So hopefully you guys stay with us and, and, you know, enjoy the ride with us as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.